Good morning. It's good to be back. I've been away. Took some time in Canada. I've been practicing my accent. <laughs> A. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be back. Well, this morning we're looking at small groups, but we're doing so from Acts 2, verse 46. So if you turn with me to your Bibles to that verse, Acts 2 and uh, verse 46. One of the distinctives of Cottage Church, if you're a visitor, a guest, um, incoming freshman, we study the Bible. We think that's kind of important. Apparently not every church does, but we do. We want the Bible right at the heart of what we do on a Sunday morning. We open our Bibles, we study our Bibles, we want to hear the voice of Jesus in his church. And we believe the way to do that is to study the Bible. So the subject this morning is small groups, and uh, there's a programmatic leadership element to that for us as a church. But what I'm going to be preaching is Acts 2, verse 46, you see, Uh, and then how that applies to what we're considering as a church, which it does. Uh, But we're going to be camped here, not just this verse, but that in the wider context of Acts and really, in a sense, the whole Bible, because we can't just snatch it out of context. We've got to Look at it in its, uh, in its context. So as, as we do that, let's pray together. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father God, this is the uh, uh, first Sunday for me back in the pulpit. I uh, preached already once this morning, back again uh, for the second time, and, and getting up to speed again with the pulpit work here at College Church. I I pray for your help. I pray that uh, I pray that because I know I cannot do this without your help. I pray, Father, that you would, um, by your Spirit, enable me to preach your word. Father, I'm also um, conscious of the many people here uh, this morning. And there are many different pastoral situations. How can one sermon address all those diverse needs? Father, because the one we need is Jesus. And so I pray that this morning Jesus would be exalted that we would see him in his glory, understand his majesty, understand more who he is and who his church is. And I pray all these things in his name. Amen. So, friends, Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, and I'm going to read it for us uh, this morning. Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. Now, I'm reading from the old New International Version. This is because I'm, as I say, getting up to speed here in the pulpit and just brought my old Bible. You cannot find that old version anywhere. You practically have to steal it nowadays. But uh, for those of you who feel passionately about translations, this isn't a hint to anything. It's just the way it is. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day or daily... They met together 
in the temple, and they also broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad or joyful and sincere hearts or, and generosity. That is God's Word. Now, as I say, we're looking at Acts 2, verse 46, but we really need to understand it in the context in which Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, placed it. And as you probably know, if you're anything of a Bible scholar at all, that Acts is the second volume of a two-volume series. There's Luke, and then there is Acts. So if you come with me to the beginning of the book, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and you'll see there that Luke talks about his former book, Theophilus. Uh, the uh, sponsor, perhaps, of both volumes. We're not sure, for instance, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote a book out, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The word beginning there has a sense of rule as well. And so Acts is what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. He's writing about the former book, that is Luke's gospel. That's what it's known to us as by that title, the gospel of Luke. And Luke in that gospel says the point of Luke's gospel is to show us the certainty of the things that we've been taught. In other words, when you read Luke's gospel, you're intended to realize this that I was taught in Sunday school, this that I heard about at my mother's knee growing up, is actually true. It actually happened. Jesus did tell those parables. Jesus did die and rise again. These things actually happened in my former book, Theophilus. But not only did it happen, it's not just history, past tense. There's an ongoing story. What Jesus began to do and teach. The extension of his rule. And so Jesus himself gives the theme. If you look down to verse 8 of that first chapter of Acts, the theme Spirit empowered witness to Jesus globally. So he says, You will receive power empowered when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Spirit empowered. Witness, and you'll be my witnesses. Whose witnesses? Witness to Jesus. Spirit-empowered witness to Jesus. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Spirit-empowered witness to Jesus globally, throughout the whole world. That's the vision, what Jesus began to do and teach. It really happened. And there's an ongoing story. And so as the story begins to unfold in Acts, you see the Jerusalem church, which is the context for Acts 2, verse 46, and then you see the Apostle Paul, his amazing conversion, and then his missionary journeys, and how this begins to spread, this witness to Jesus begins to spread, until right at the end, come with me to the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, you find that Paul is in Rome, and Rome, of course, is the heart of the known world at the time. And perhaps if you're Italian, it still is the heart of the known world, you know. But then there was a thing called the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire dominated the world. And for Romans, the world was the Roman Empire, and outside was, you know, I guess it existed, but it wasn't really the world. 
wasn't civilization. And so there's Paul in the heart of Rome. And of course the story hasn't ended, but it's indicating for us Dr. Luke, because he writes uh, his letter, the Acts, uh, his, his book, The Acts of the Apostles, He's uh, telling us that there's Paul in Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire, and what is he doing? Verse 31, right at the end. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God, the rule of God. What does that mean? By teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, the extension of the rule of Jesus, the witness, the spirit and power witness to Jesus globally. Now it's at Rome. Well, that's not the end of the story. It's carried on. It's even reached Wheaton, which would, for the, uh, the original readers of this book, have felt not just like the ends of the earth, but falling off the ends of the earth for... You know, Not to put too fine a point on it, but North America had not been discovered by then. Yet now here it is. Perhaps that's the main point for you this morning. That the rule of Jesus would extend to you. Perhaps that disorder in your own heart, that dysfunction at home, that sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness with all the gifts and talents and abilities and resources you've been given, and you're not sure what it's for or where it's going to go, what the purpose of it is and who it should serve and how you could find fulfillment and all of that. is answered by the rule of Jesus in your life, in your home, over your business. Even now, the extension of the rule of Jesus as the gospel of Jesus is being taught. Of course, that's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In his former book, Theophilus, He taught about how Jesus on the road to Emmaus described how all the scriptures were fulfilled in him. And now that gospel is going to the ends of the earth, to China, to South America, to England, or so I've heard. To Wheaton. And so then in that context, we have Acts chapter 2. So come with me to Acts chapter 2. This is the first, actually, of uh, three pericopes about uh, the church at Jerusalem. Now, you may say Acts 2, 42 to 47 doesn't mention the word church. But if you keep one finger in Acts 2 and then flick over to Acts chapter 8, you'll see that Luke describes this uh, gathering as the church at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the church at Jerusalem. And so this is, we may say, the church. And there are three pericopes, uh, that is, distinct sections that are earmarked uh, rhetorically, structurally in the writing, and the first about the church. And the first is Acts 2, 42 to 47, and the next is Acts 4. You can see that it runs from Acts 4, 32 
through to verse 37, a second pericope, distinct section describing this church, and then Acts 5, 12 through to 16. And each of them have a template, a paradigm, a pattern that Luke is describing. And we put it like this. We say, proclaiming the gospel. Basically, it's about the gospel. And then there are four core values. It says, Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the following things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And at the end of the section, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So we say it's all about the gospel. Basically, it's the gospel. And then we're committed to, as they were devoted to, fellowship, learning, outreach, and worship. And that pattern, there are some some variety to it, but basically that pattern runs through those first three pericopes of the Jerusalem church. So here's the the, the big picture from Acts, which is a global witness to Jesus, spirit-empowered. And then now, right at the beginning, Luke spends significant care, detailed attention, space in his book to describe the church. Why? You may think that if you are wanting to write a bestseller, then describing the sort of the details of how a church function might not go very well. You know, uh, here's the title, uh, very, very long committee meetings and how to make them slightly shorter. You know, put that on the bookstore and see how it goes. But Luke describes the Jerusalem church. Why? Because, according to Dr. Luke, and you can trace this theme not just in these three pericopes, but in, his, in the missionary journey he describes of the Apostle Paul, which is church. He's planting churches. The church is the engine of this global witness to Jesus. It's the driving entity behind it. The church. Immediately, you and I must ask ourselves whether that is how we view the church. Or do we view it as an also-ran, as a minorly important religious gathering where all the action is taking place somewhere else globally in terms of witness to Jesus? Or do we view it as Luke views it, as the engine of the expansion of witness to Jesus, spirit-empowered, all around the world? Locally, yes. Globally, yes. And that will impact multiple choices that you make on a daily basis. If you're an incoming Wheaton student, do you commit your time to the church? The church qua church, the actual church, not, you know sort of Christian gatherings in general, but the church. Do you put your time in the church? Do you put your resources behind the church? If you listen to Dr. Luke and you have a concern for the witness of Jesus globally, you want to see wrongs put right. You want to see justice go around the world. You want to see Jesus and his witness extend the rule of Jesus, then you're going to invest in the church because it's just the engine for that purpose. Of course, those of us in leadership at 
a church level, we need to ask ourselves a slightly different question, though related, which is, are we actually trying to lead our churches in such a way that they are gathered around that purpose? And when those two go together, both those who are coming see that is the point, and those who are leading see that as the point, there's a wonderful synergy of gospel expansion according to Dr. Luke. So that's a spirit-empowered witness to Jesus globally. And then here's the church, the engine for that purpose. Well, what about verse 46? We've got there finally. Are you ready? I hope you are. Ready or not, here it comes. Acts 2, verse 46. Let me read it out for us again. And this is about the magnetic attraction of the church. So spirit and power witness to Jesus throughout the world. The engine of that is the church here, verse 46, the magnetic attraction of the church. Every day or daily, this is verse 46, chapter 2, daily they met together in the temple and they uh, shared their meal together. They broke bread in their homes with glad or joyful and sincere hearts or generosity. Here's the magnetic attraction of the local church. Let me describe it for you by answering five questions that I will pose of this verse, which this verse is designed to articulate a reply. Here they are. First, when? When did they meet? Well, this is a shock, isn't it? Every day? That's pretty magnetically attractive, isn't it? Daily. Every day, daily, every day. Let me, let me put it like this. When, here's how I know, we'll know when the Spirit of Christ is doing a fresh new work in Wheaton. When I receive emails saying, uh, thanks, Josh, for that sermon on Sunday. Could you preach again on Monday? And Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Daily! When the Spirit of Christ comes in fresh power, we will be more often in church, not less frequent in church, don't you think? Uh, some of you know I spent some time studying 17th century Puritanism in Cambridgeshire. Not a popular subject for study, I don't think, but uh, you probably know more about it than I do. Who knows? 17th century Puritanism in Cambridgeshire. And uh, though that's rather obscure, there's an illustration I want to use for it from you, which is this, that in, the, in those days, the 17th century Puritans, you can find in different parts of their literature, had a phrase that they employed to describe those who were particularly enthused about hearing and studying the Word of God. And it was this, gadding, G-A-D-D-I-N-G, gadding, 17th century 
Puritanism language, gadding about to prophesying. Now, for a 17th century Cambridge Puritan, prophesying was uh, two hour long sermons with very, very long titles. Gadding about to sermons. Well, perhaps that's what we need a little bit more of people gadding about to sermons. Daily. When? Daily. What? What were they doing? Well, uh, here, there's a couple of words here that indicate it. First, it says that they uh, continued. That is, uh, they were devoted. So the word here is actually the same word as the beginning of verse 42. They were devoted. Again, they are devoted. So this isn't just attendance. They attended. They obviously were there, so they did attend. But it's a commitment, a devotion. That's, that's a difficult word because we don't always feel committed and devoted when we turn up first thing in, at church, do we? The children have been crying, the, you know, the, 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 the toast was burnt or whatever it is that you eat before you come to church and you don't feel terribly devoted. But this isn't about feeling, it's about commitment. There's something going on that's so magnetically attractive. There's someone who has been proclaimed, who is so magnetically attractive that we're devoted, committed. And then it says they were together or one-minded. So they weren't just together, like we're together. Here we are in one place. But they were together in the sense they were one-minded. Now, obviously, they had differences and distinctions of various kinds. You know, one or two people over there probably supported the Cubs, and some over there supported the White Sox, you know. and Some people spoke English. Other people spoke American, you know. And then and there were differences, weren't there? They're bound to be. Various kinds. Some people thought this was fashionable. Other people thought that was terribly 1980s. And some people were PC people. Other people were Mac people. And, and, and they had other distinctions and differences, as you'll see. They were still sinners and they had difficulties and problems and things like that. But they were nonetheless one-minded at this point, the Jerusalem church. That is, they had a single focus around the extension of the rule of Jesus globally. And when we have that common mind, wonderful things take place. And perhaps you're thinking about other things. Let me, let me, like a tuning fork on the pulpit, ring out that one-minded for you to bring your thoughts and attention and focus into harmony with this. That's what they were. They were devoted and one-minded. Well, where? When, what, where? They met uh, in the temple and uh, uh, house to house or in their own homes. Now, you have to realize that uh, I don't know how much you know about Herod's temple or the second temple uh, of uh, Judaism, but it was a massive structure. So sometimes people think that if you're going to be authentic in your New Testament church, then you've got to have you know, just 10 or 15 or 20 people at most, or maybe 100, but that's about it. But here we know they met in this massive place, 
And we know there were at least 3,000 people because of verse 41 that they just been baptized and were now added to this group. And there were more than 3,000 because there were already disciples beforehand. And actually 3,000 only counted the men because that's the way it was done in those days. And so there would have been women and children. And so there would have been thousands together. Sometimes we think that if we're going to be authentically New Testament church-like, then we have to be, you know, just a few of my friends and huddling together in a little small circle, right? But here they are in the temple. What's more, we know what part of the temple they were in. So if you come with me to Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, it tells us specifically where they met in Solomon's colonnade. Well, we know what that was like, roughly speaking. We have a good idea about what that was like. So there was the temple, and around this massive structure uh, through which people would walk to get to one side of the city or another, there were porches, enormous structures. And one of these porches was known as Solomon's colonnade, and that's where they met, these thousands of people. See, the church is, has a temple, large gathering aspect to it. In fact, the word church, of course, is the word ecclesia, and that word comes from the Old Testament translation of the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And really, in some sense, at least you could argue, at its background is the whole movement of God, of God's people, out of Egypt in Exodus to gather together in the assembly, the ecclesia, Around the Mount of God, as Moses brings the Word of God. Well, there weren't just three or four thousand there, there were thousands upon thousands. We're just beginning. They met in Solomon's colonnade. But they also met, and most applicable uh, for us this morning, uh, in in their own homes, or however you want to translate kata oikon, in their own houses, house to house, in their households. Now, what I want to do for you this morning, what I want you to do is to find this in the pew rack in front of you. So if you reach forward, and if your neighbor has fallen asleep, give them a nudge in the arm as, as you do. And find and discover this. And on the front of it, it says, Big Vision for Small Groups. And that's our focus this week and next week. And then it has the emphases, fellowship, learning, and outreach. So our core values, fellowship, learning, outreach, and worship. And uh, so that's what we're doing all together as we meet together. These small groups, smaller sections of the larger group, are focused on fellowship, learning, and outreach, you see. And then us together are fellowship, learning, outreach, and worship. You see, see how it works? And then on the, on the reverse side, you'll see there's a commitment. And I want you to look at this and hold this in your hand, if you will. If you can't find it, then we'll get one for you afterwards, and I'll show you what it is. On the reverse side, it says that there are these uh, small... Does anyone have these, by the way? Okay. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> if you could photocopy them really fast... <laughs> They must have all, I guess we had so many people at the previous service, we had none here. So I'm going to read them out for you, and you can join me in a unison reading (laughs) of the reverse side. So it says, how to get connected to a small group. Go online to College Church. So you can go there and you just use the small groups finder. So that's easy, web search. 
pick up the small groups directory. There's one uh, in the welcome center at the back. Attend the Connection Point Gathering, which is on September the 14th uh, at uh, 7 p.m. in Commons Hall, which sounds like it's going to be absolutely wild. (laughs) So you want to go to that. Or maybe you don't, but Connection Point Gathering. Start a small, small group. So there's a leadership orientation meeting. You can go to that. Now, I want you to... Keep this in your hand, if the four people who have it can keep it in their hand and wave it at this point. Um, Or keep it in your mind, at least. And now look down with me at uh, this, answering the question, why? Why get involved here? You'll find that they had sharing. They were sharing together their food, their lives. There was life on life. There was joy, and there was generosity. The key idea there is doing without in order to share. Simplicity. Simplicity of lifestyle. Sharing life on life together. Joy. Generosity. Simplicity. These are the key results of this kind of authentic uh, community. Now, this is not, small groups are not the magic bullet to solve all of our problems. If it was as easy as that, churches would have done it a long time ago. In fact, it's not really a program, it's a call to community, and there may be different expressions of this kind of community. But nonetheless, there is a significant leadership opportunity, an opportunity for us as a church, a leadership emphasis that has been brought forward for us as a church this Sunday. And I'd ask you to respond in one of those, one of those four ways. See, though it's, though it's not the magic bullet, there is a biblical echo to it, an echo in church history. It goes back in some ways to Wesley in the 18th century revival with John Wesley and George Whitfield. And one of the distinctives of Wesley's movement is they gathered people into smaller gatherings for accountability and shepherding and going on mission together. And so there was a little bit of resurgence to this emphasis in America in the 1970s, early 1980s. It may have blown through this church at that point. And there's been a, a renewed emphasis in the last few years thinking about missional outreach elements. And for us, it's fellowship, learning, and outreach, community, Bible, and outreach together. But it really goes back to, to earlier church history thing. And as I say, there are also biblical echoes. In fact, you can see in church history that when people begin to get a sense of God and His Word in a renewed way, one of the results of this is they gather together in smaller gatherings in their own homes and say, I want to do this life on life, not just Sunday, but week to week throughout the week. And so you find that with the Reformation, with Luther's preface to his work on Romans, Luther's preface to the letter of Romans. We'll be looking at Romans in a couple of weeks here. When that was out, it was studied by monks in smaller gatherings all across Europe. In fact, in the place in Cambridge, there was a pub where they would gather to study Romans together in a smaller gathering. 
But in a sense, it really goes back to a core biblical echo you see in Acts. But in a sense, really, you see in Jesus. Jesus preached to the crowds. We know that, that the feeding of the 5,000. And... But he also had the 12. And they ate together. And they went on mission together. And they asked him questions, as we will be asking questions of him through the word. So I want you to respond in one of these ways to the smaller gatherings that we are proposing this morning. Big vision, spirit and power witness to Jesus globally, the church as the engine of that global witness, the magnetic attraction of a church. Big vision, small groups. Let's pray together. Father, I want to take a moment now to pray especially for those uh, incoming freshmen to Wheaton College and their families. Father, I pray that you would give peace and a sense of reassurance to parents who perhaps are leaving their children, letting them go away from home for the first time. I pray, Father, that the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and the love of God would bring deep comfort to such parents this weekend. Father, I also pray for the uh, students themselves. Would you give them such a vision of Jesus and who he is and of his church for whom he died? That uh, they would make the most of these years to be equipped and trained and prepared to serve you, God, in the family of the church. Father, and I pray for all of us uh, uh, together here this more college church, and I pray, Father, that you would help us to grasp um, the significance of being involved together in community, that uh, we would uh, learn from each other, that we would be students of your word, that we'd be excited about what you are doing, Jesus, now by your Spirit, locally and globally, through this church, through the church. Whatever stage of life we have reached, 
that we would rejoice with generosity. Simplicity, gladness, because of who you are, Jesus, and because of your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.